All right, I'm into playing 60s music last week and this week. Uh, I started last week out with the Rolling Stones, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. This week, you may have heard that song before as well, it was written by Pete Seeger in the late 1950s. It was recorded in 1962 by the Birds, and it became an international hit in late 65. Uh, it went to number one in the United States in late 65, and it holds the distinction of being the number one hit in the U.S. with the oldest lyrics, because those lyrics are 2,800 years old. <laughs> they were written by King Solomon, uh, which is the author who is the author of the book we've been digging into in this series we've called Suburban Myths. We've been looking at his search for meaning and hope. And we're trying to look at the avenues he pursued to find meaning and hope and evaluate with him as he evaluates those avenues as well. Uh, we didn't play the last part of that passage that Solomon wrote, a time of love, of hate, a time of war, of peace, a time you may embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to gain, to lose, to rend, to sow, time for peace. And Pete Seeger added this, I swear it's not too late. Because it was in the 60s. Peace was a really big thing in, in the 60s. And it was a plea for world peace, which is a pop, popular theme. The, the lyrics of the song are from Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 9. And that, those verses are smack dab in the middle of the passage that we're looking at today. And we'll get back to why they fit in the flow of the passage in a few moments and why they fit in the middle of Solomon's search for meaning related to work, really. He's talking about work in this passage. And so we're going to get back to that a little later. But we, we launched this series uh, with the question that Solomon was asking in this book. And the, ask, the question he was asking is, what's, what's the point? What's the point of life? He was at the end of his life. He had turned away from the Lord and was trying to find meaning apart from God. And so he kept asking, what's the point of this? What's the point of that? Why is this the way it is? And, you know, he's just sort of, you know, sour on life as you read the book. But he asked, first week we looked at, what's the point of life? Second week, what? What's the point in the face of uncertainties? What's the point of having to deal with those? And what's the point of life? What's, what's the meaning there? In terms of pleasure, what's the point of pleasure? Does it, does it bring meaning to life, ultimate meaning? We looked at that last week. This week, we're going to be dealing with a topic that we all have experience with, work. We, we all work. And by the time... Uh, we finish working, we will have spent at least 25% of our lives working. That's, that's typical. 25 to 33%. So one quarter to one third of our lives are spent at work. The average person works 99,167 hours in their lifetime. <clears throat> that's a bunch. I don't know about you, but that's almost 100,000 hours that we work. So we're looking at 
the idea, my work is the most valuable pursuit. We're testing that out. We're trying to figure out if that's the case. What, what was your initial reaction? What is your n- initial reaction to my work is the most valuable pursuit? You're like, yeah, of course it is. I spend most of my life there, <laughs> or at least a third of it. Or was it, I really hope not. <laughs> if that's the most valuable pursuit, oh, boy, this is going to be dull. The rest of this life is going to be dragged. And usually there's a spectrum that we land on related to work, how we feel about it. Work tends to become our focus or foe. And it, it looks something like this. You can see the, the arrows there. If work is the major focus of my life, my work is my world. And if work is a foe, if that's the major way we see it, my work invades my world. It interrupts me. It keeps me from doing what I really want to be doing with the 100,000 hours that I'm going to be putting in, into work. And so we tend to have this, these two extremes, this spectrum that we fall along. At different times, you may swing from one extreme to the other. Faux focus, faux focus. How, how do you know where you are along this spectrum? I wanted to give you some indicators that might help you identify where you are right now along this spectrum. Work ends on Friday, and you begin a countdown. You begin to count down the minutes until Monday morning with a tremendous amount of dread. Yeah, it's over Friday, and you're, oh, okay, it's coming back again on Monday. Or you get excited when you think you have a fever. <laughs> because, hey, hey, I can stay home. That's awesome. <laughs> I, got, I have a legitimate excuse. Or you, you avoid the subject of work with your family and friends like a plague because you just don't want to talk about it. It's frustrating. It's dull and boring. Our, our work, as you get into Scripture, you find out that our work is very important to God. It really matters to Him. We're going to look at what Solomon says about that in a few moments. But he wants to keep it in balance. He wants us to learn the right balance. Now, here, here are some indicators that your work means much, too much to you. On your kid's birthday, you ask for an annual report of the past year. Or your idea of a vacation is setting your screensaver to a beach scene. Or, you know, you might go to a different place, you know, change it over. Or your Instagram account is full of pictures of spreadsheets. Or your online dating profile includes your resume. Or you take it with you when you go to meet people. Take, you know, you're handing it out. That, that might be, sorry, those were bad, weren't they? <laughs> I'm trying up here. My point is this. You, you may be too focused or not focused enough on your work. And God wants us to find the right place along the spectrum. We're going to land somewhere, and we're going to swing one way or the other, and then back over here, and God wants us to keep landing in the right place. King Solomon's thoughts, at least where they start, is where he's been starting in all of his thoughts. He's vexed 
<laughs> he's, he's, he's frustrated. And uh, this, this passage that we're going to read right now real quick is, uh, it reflects the extreme of work as foe. Let's see what he said in Ecclesiastes 2, 18 through 23. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This is also vanity. It's, it's a mist. It's, it's meaningless. So I turned about and gave, up my, my, gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This is also vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. Solomon gives us two main things to think about related to our work. You can work your whole life. But at some point, you are going to die, and you can't take anything with you. There are no U-Haul trailers attached to hearse. There just aren't. You know, they, it's just not the way it goes. We, we don't take it with us. Second thing he says is, you, you may keep working hard, and the harder you work, you're still not finished with whatever it is. I just mowed the lawn yesterday. I'm going to have to mow it again in about a week. You know, it's, you, you, it work, our work is never done. There's always more to do. That's just the way it is. So we need to find a way to deal with these realities. Now, in contrast to that way of thinking, Solomon shifts gears, and thankfully he does. He's starting to, God is, is helping him sort through these things and sift through them. And he shows that God wants to bring fulfillment in our work. He, he wants to give us fulfillment. There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. If you're going to spend a third of your life at work, it's way better to enjoy it than it is to be vexed by it. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. This, this enjoyment, it's from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? It's clear from this passage that satisfaction in our work is from the hand of God. Our work is from the hand of God. He's given it to us. He's blessed us with it. It's from him. And he provides blessing through our work, and he gives us enjoyment from our work. He, he blesses others through us as we work, and he's the one. This is all flowing through his hands. He, he's the one that does this. Without factoring God into your work, there is no meaning and satisfaction. And that's what God wants for us. He wants meaning. He wants satisfaction for us in these things. Look at Solomon's question in this passage. Apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? He's learned his lesson. He turned away from the Lord. 
at a point in his life, and he's beginning, he's beginning to snap out of it now. He, he's beginning to turn the corner and head back toward God. Solomon is saying, trust me, I've tried every avenue possible to find meaning and enjoyment apart from God. It's not there. They're all dead ends. Without God, you will not find meaning and hope and enjoyment. It's like Solomon saying, we all have to work and we spend 100,000 hours of our lives doing work. Would you rather work for God who provides enjoyment or work for yourself and come up empty? That's what he's saying. What, what do you want to do with this? Most of us need a daily perspective shift, one way or the other. We need to make a shift. We, we have to move from working for ourselves to seeing our work as one of the ways that we please God. That's, that's the shift. That's the core shift that we need to make. I don't know if you ever thought of this before, but God himself is a worker. Uh, he made us to work. And so since God is a worker and he made us to work, this gives work a high value in his economy and the way he sees things. Very, very valuable. In the beginning, uh, in Genesis, Scripture says, God created the world and at the end of the week tells us that God looked back. He rested from his work and he looked back and he saw that it was very good. Um, we have a job description that was given to us in the very beginning uh, when the first man and woman were made. Scripture says that we were made in the image of God. Uh, and since he made us in his image, we were made to be workers. And so we have a job description to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue it, to have dominion over it. Um, and that means there's an awful lot packed into those passages right there into the beginning of, of Genesis. Family life's in there. He's, he's blessed family life. So if you're taking care of the kids, that's under his, that's in your job description from God. Okay, your job description from God. Change their diapers. Do whatever. Clean the spit up. up. Whatever it is, it's in the, uh, exploration is in there. Be for, fill the earth. We had to figure out how to, Get from where they were, the Adam and Eve, first man and woman, to the rest of the world. Expiration's in there. We, we figure that out. Um, science. Getting dominion over the earth means that you're, you're needing to find out what we got going on here. What's happening with all the forces of creation and the things that God built into the world. Landscaping. You know, God's picture of the earth is he gives us a little piece of the world, and we're to subdue it. We're to get dominion. We're to oversee it. That's how God gets things done in the world. Now, you may not have an actual piece of land that you do that with, but it's your work, it's your family, it's your relationship. He gives you stewardships. He gives you things to look over and to do well with. Um, there are all kinds of things packed into Genesis 1. In those passages. And if I understand this connection that God is a worker and people are created for work, to work in His world that He made, then any kind of legitimate work that I do is an extension of God's work and what He wants done in the world. 
The way he rules the world is, and the way he provides for it is, he, he gives us responsibilities, stewardships, and then he wants us to get dominion over those things. This is the way God works. Now, there are wrong types of work that are not an extension of God's work, um, kinds of work that rob people of justice, exploit them, devalue human life, and so on. Of course, that's not an extension of God's work. But the legitimate work that you and I do has high value in God's eyes because this is the way he gets things done in the world. He, he provides for us through the work that we do. And he helps us do it. He gives us the strength to do it. He gave us the work in the first place. One author, uh, William Hendricks, wrote a book, Your Work Matters to God. And he says there are five major reasons for the work that God gives us. Um, and here they are. Through work, we serve people. We meet our own needs. We meet our family's needs. We earn money to give to others. And we love God. Going to work and doing all that you can do with it is a way to show your love for God because he's handed that work to you. And he tells us whatever you do with all your heart, work hard because I'm your boss. I'm over the boss that you, you know, is on the organizational chart at work. I'm the one. I'm the boss here. And so work for me. And as you look at this list, it's easy to draw the connection from your everyday work and how that works to contributes to what God wants in the world, what's, what he wants done, how he wants things accomplished. He wants us to love him and love others. And work is a major way. Now, you may feel like, oh, 100,000 hours at work. Oh. But this is how God provides for people. He gives us this work to do. And he wants us to bless others with it. It's how he takes care of, provides for, and shares with us. Your work, when viewed through this lens, all of a sudden becomes a sacred activity. Now, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that when you get up tomorrow morning, if I hadn't said this, <laughs> that you would not see your work as a sacred activity. All right, can't wait, going to go do this. Now, the word sacred, I want to I mention what it means. It's dedicated or set apart for the service or worship of God. And another facet of sacred is something that is highly valued and important. Your, your work, there is no, you see, there is no secular sacred divide with God. He, as he looks at, I mean, there is some unholy stuff. That's, there is holy and ho, unholy divide, okay? But we tend to look at what's going on in the world and we say, oh, Randy's a pastor. That's a sacred thing. Um, I, I work at McDonald's and that's a secular job. God doesn't see it that way. He doesn't see employment in the same way we do. He, he sees it as his work that's being done on the face of the earth. My work, now I have a ministry, and that's something I need to do, but I do that on top of my work. My work has to do with leading an organization to accomplish God's purpose. Your, your work, I don't, I don't know what your job description is, but God doesn't look at what you're doing or what I'm doing and give more value to one or the other. 
in my work that I do. It's all God's work in God's world if it's legitimate work. So he's given work a high place of value, and he's the one that adds meaning to our work. Therefore, my number one ambition at work should be to please God. That's it. My number one ambition is to please God, to do what pleases him. Look at Ecclesiastes 2.26. For the one who pleases him, uh, to the one who pleases him, God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he, he is given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This is also vanity and a striving after the wind. Pleasing God equals meaning and satisfaction, working for yourself, emptiness. Joy at work is a gift from God as you serve God in the way that you're working, in the approach that you take to your work, in your attitude, with your heart and soul and mind and strength. Cindy and I are going to Germany uh, on by way of London. We're going to London for a few days, and we're going to go to Germany. We're leaving on October 20th. And as we've talked about this trip, we're going to help a longtime friend, Martha Moore, who does student ministry in Europe. And God's really used her to start several student ministries. Kind of amazing, really. Single lady. She's been there for about 20-some-odd years. And uh, God has allowed her to start several ministries at college campuses in, in Europe. And we're going to help her. And what we're thinking as we get prepared, we have several things we need to get prepared for. We're thinking that for seven days, we're going to give it all we've got because we only have seven days in Germany. And so we're going to try to do everything we have the strength to do to help Martha during those seven days. We're going to try to be faithful, to sacrifice what we need to, comfort, whatever it takes. And I've been on these kinds of trips before. I've been to India a couple times. And... You just you sort of get set because you realize you have a short amount of time and you've got to make the most of it and you've got to give it all you've got. Just think of how different our work would be if we approached it the same way. I've got to give it all I've got because this is what God has given me to do today. This is from him. It's, it's his. Our work is a mission trip. You know, I, I've decided a few years back, my life's a mission trip. You know, it's just I've got, got things. Because you go on mission trips, and there's always more to do than you thought there was going to do. Things change rapidly, and, and that, that's, that's my life. That may be your life. But what if you approached your work as a mission from God, God something God has handed you to do? What a difference would that make? Rather than... Dreading it, we could wake up in the morning with the perspective that I'm, I'm getting ready for a day and I'm going to serve God in this way. Because God, through this, provides for me. He provides for my family. He provides for the people around me. I can love Him, and He's so good to me that I can love others through the blessing that He gives me. And beyond that, I can be generous. And I can really help people who need the help. I, I can do more than just go to work, punch in, punch out. This, this is important to God. Now, we have to fight 
We have to fight to keep that perspective because the joy of work gets lost in the busyness, the pressure, the deadlines, and the ho-hum and doldrums of, oh, here we go again, it's the same stuff. I mean, we all have chores. No matter how much you enjoy your work, there's always chores, part of it. You know, I got to do that. I'm tired. <laughs> you know, and we tend to lose the joy of work, but come back. When you find yourself on the faux spectrum, come back to, God, I want to do my best with this. I want to serve you the best I know how with doing the work that you've given me to do. Thank you, God, for that. And And so... My final point today is aim to find joy in your work right now, whatever it is, right now. This is Solomon's conclusion on work in verses 10 through 13 of chapter 3. He says, what gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the busyness, the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful. In its time. Also, he's put eternity into man's heart. Yet, so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. See, apart from God, no pleasure, no fun. With God, he, he can give you the gift of pleasure in your toil, in your work, if you will approach it from his angle. Part of Solomon's God-directed conclusion here is that work is hard, yes. But in faith, we need to set our heart to please God by working with everything we've got. And out of that, God can bring joy and purpose even in the midst of what we might see as pointless and painful work. It, it, it all goes back to him. We, we need this perspective at work while raising kids, while doing the dishes, changing diapers, mowing the lawn. We, we need this perspective while going to school. We need to understand that God has handed us these things. And... and we can find joy in them if we rely on him to bring the joy and not try to squeeze it out of these things ourselves. But we have to fight for that. It is a fight to find the joy in our labor, in our work. If you're frustrated or anxious or under pressure or just bored with your work, set your aim to be diligent and faithful with what is in front of you right now. Because you're building your future every day. You're building your future. It's going to flow out of what you do right now. And God makes everything beautiful in his time. If you'll work with God, if you cooperate with God, if you'll do it his way, he makes it beautiful. This is the point of the passage that the birds sang about. <laughs> In the beginning here, when I first got up here, Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 9. God has a purpose in this work right now, and I need to do my best with it. Think about it. There's a time for dancing, but if you love to dance, you can't just dance all the time. I mean, that gets that'd get old and stale as well. 
I, I should never dance, but sometimes I try. My family gets a kick out of it. But, you know, there's a time for dancing. There's a time for mourning. Um, there's a time to laugh. There's a time to cry. If you always want to joke around, people get tired of that. You know, it's, it's, it, it, there's a time to be funny, and there's a time to buckle down and get to work. God has a purpose in the ebb and flow of life. That's the, the sense from that passage in that song. God has a purpose in the ebb and flow of life. And, and we can accept what's going on from the hand of God. And the flow is much better. But if we fight against it, if we battle against it, against him really, and what's going on, then we get sour. We don't enjoy it. It takes a faith approach to enjoy work today. No matter what's going on. God can help us with that. He, he really wants to. It's a gift from God to enjoy today. Right now. Solomon concludes that there's nothing better than to take pleasure in your toil. If you make it your number one ambition at work to please God in your work, whatever it is. Uh, you, you may not have a place you go to do work. But your work is right, right there at home. Um, If you make it your number one ambition to please God, he promises to give you a dose of joy and happiness in it. He promises to hand that out as as he sees fit, as he sees that you need it. This is the path to finding satisfaction in your work. You don't make it your focus. You make him your focus. It doesn't become your foe, but you begin to work out. Uh, what pleases him. When you do this to please God, who made you to be a worker, who is a worker himself, he brings the good out of it. I'd like to wrap up the message, ask the band to come up if they would. Uh, I'd like to ask you to think through the next steps. Um, Please pull the connection card out of your program again, and if you have a moment, you can fill out any next steps that I mention or any information you haven't had an opportunity to fill out yet. Um, So please take this time to finish completing the info or next steps and then drop it in the offering when it comes by. But here are some suggestions for next steps. My next step today is to, first of all, you could memorize Ecclesiastes 2.24. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil this also, I saw, is from the hand of God. Now, I've read this passage before, and I thought, of course, I can choose to let God help me with this. Help me enjoy what I'm doing right now. I know it needs to be done. Help me enjoy it. Uh, second step, identify where you are in the spectrum of work. Has it captured your total focus, or is it your foe right now? Where are you at on that spectrum? Maybe it's been your foe for your entire life. (laughs) Or maybe it's been your focus for your adult life. Whatever it is, take five minutes before work every day this week and dedicate your work to him. No matter where it is, no matter what it is, it's legitimate work that's good work. Dedicate your work to him. And set your heart to please him in what you do. And, And he'll bring the joy over time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your kindness to us. 
Thank you for the way that you run the universe and you've allowed us to, to team up with you to do these different things in the world that you've given us to do. And it's very, very important to you. So, Father, I pray that you'd give us strength, give us the ability to walk by faith and to trust you with the things that are frustrating and perplexing and allow you to work in us through those things, God. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.